Well, today it turns out, I mean, not real life today, podcast today, your today, is Bloomsday. The date we celebrate when, uh, on June 16th, 1904, some writer in Dublin went on a date. And then he wrote this book about it, Ulysses, where a guy, Leopold Bloom, wanders around town thinking a lot about different types of sex and uh, making a lot of dirty jokes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't want to spoil it for you. I'm talking, of course, about James Joyce's uh, 1922 novel, Ulysses, considered to be the pinnacle of Irish modernism, European modernism. I participated in a show for many years um, on this day, a Bloomsday celebration. They have them worldwide. Uh, it's where we celebrate uh, the most revered and least read novel in the English language. There always came a point in the show where the, I don't know, handful of us who had read it needed to explain stuff to the other people, and it was uh, an, an awkward moment, I guess. You know, Ulysses is a famously complicated and difficult novel, but I, I, I don't know. We, I think we just put too much on it, honestly. I don't know why. There's a Vanity Fair article about how Joyce would have hated um, Bloomsday celebrations. It's called Bloomsday is a Travesty. Um, and... And in it, the writer mentions, Bloomsday celebrations treat Joyce too much like a saint and his book too much like a gospel to be revered first and read later, if at all. And, and I think that that's right. I think it's about, um, I, I think the celebration is about pretending that we care about something because we recognize other people uh, think it's important. And that kind of sycophantism uh, is not what the novel was about. About, even though it is difficult to access and takes uh, a lot of work. I guess like all literature, it constructs uh, an elaborate field of inside jokes, but it, it might not be... Well, it can be a lot more than that, but, uh, but it really is a novel that parodies the kind of seriousness that we, um, uh, you know, that we approach the novel with in a lot of ways. Uh, the thing about Joyce, about modernism that I love, it combines the high and the low together, you know? Like, there are there are references to John Keats, the great English poet of the 19th century, and Moses Herzog, a, a butcher who lives around the corner from Joyce. And uh, and the novel makes little attempt to, uh, to establish a hierarchy of those things. Um, and I think that that's brilliant. Because I would say there isn't a hierarchy between those two things. Moses Herzog's life is just as interesting as John Keats's, maybe more so, frankly. And the novel recognizes also, as much as we want to think, we go around thinking about the finer things in life, art or poetry, which, you know, a lot of us do. I mean, I'm in that business, but we also think about, you know, the ordinary functions of our body, and the novel's, uh, you know, in, in detail, obsessed with those, by the way. And I'm not trying to be judgmental about it. I'm sorry if that's how I'm coming across. You know, it's, it's, uh, 
I don't know, celebrating something that you don't understand is certainly, you know, not a new thing, and it's not something that I, you know, am, am, uh, am not guilty of myself. But it is kind of an interesting conceit that, you know, like, hey, this is a thing that's important and we should be around it, um, but we're not necessarily that interested in participating in the thing itself. You know, Ulysses is a, is, a, is a long, difficult novel, and you have to put some time into it. You have to put, you know, six hours a day for a month or six weeks into it, and then you'll have a pretty good handle on it if you get some, some other of the really excellent guidebooks to it. And at the end of it, you'll understand that it's full of dirty jokes, preoccupations with sex, and, and uh, it freely blends together, you know, the guy who lived around the corner from Joyce who worked in the butcher shop and, uh, you know, the most important poet of the 19th century, and, and you're just kind of, you know, thrust into the middle of it, and you have to figure out which is which, and and find your way through it. And at the end of it, I, I don't know that you'll learn a heck of a lot more from it than you learn from reading anything else. Uh, like I always say, it'll take you as long to read it as it will to not read it. But, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm interested in is is how people respond to the novel. Um, maybe maybe shows something about about who we are. This is on the Wikipedia page for Ulysses, but there's a... There's a response to the novel uh, from Carl Jung, the psychologist, that I think is really uh, interesting and insightful. He says, What is so staggering about Ulysses is the fact that behind a thousand veils nothing lies hidden, that it turns neither toward the mind nor toward the world, but as cold as the moon, looking on from cosmic space, allows the drama of growth, being, and decay to pursue its course. So that's an interesting image because, uh, you know, even though the moon has no denotative meaning, it is full of symbolic power for us. I think it's also essential to, to point out, or it is for me anyway, that no one owns the moon. Different cultures, different poets, different people can have a different relationship to it. Shakespeare's relationship to the moon is not the same as Hank Williams's relationship to the moon. Though both of them have profound relationships to it in their poetry. So I guess what I would say that if I have a problem with Bloomsday, it would come in the form of, uh, of a group of people who wanted to own it when it was just the moon. And there was even some, uh, you know... <laughs> some struggling over not not only did some people want to have a proprietary relationship to the moon some people wanted to decide what the moon was i i at mostly did music and and you know as an academic was supposed to know about ulysses um, that was my role in the thing but i also did some acting which is something i hadn't been uh, you know hadn't done before and and uh through that i was exposed to the most toxic of the abusive, belittling, uh, you know, a theater as war <laughs> model um, that I think, uh, well, I don't, I don't know what the worst of it is. Why I guess I wasn't involved in the worst, but it was pretty bad. Uh, the director, who knew absolutely nothing whatsoever about the novel, 
was some failed actor screaming at us because he was in a play one time before they figured out how toxic he was to be around and kicked him out. You know, maybe that works for some people. It didn't work for me. That didn't didn't inspire me to want to do more theater. It inspired me to think that they was a terrible model. And 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 based on that limited experience, when you know the director of the American Shakespeare Company gets fired, or when you know stuff comes out about how you know uh, how much uh, you know abuse and coercion goes on in the entertainment industry, I I, I kind of like yeah. I, I can see that. You know, the thing is about this guy who screamed at us is that, uh, you know, he did his scene and it was terrible. He flubbed his lines, he screwed up, he was he was terrible. I, I feel like if you're going to scream at me for missing a layup, you better be the best player on the team, you know? Like I, sometimes my students, their phone will go off and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, and they'll shut it off. I'm like, ah, I'm sorry, it's all right, I don't care. You know, it's easier for me to let them let their phone ring than it is to turn mine off. But I guess even if you were perfect, it would still, you know, seem ridiculous to scream at people about things. I guess I don't believe that uh, someone's accomplishments gives them special human status. <laughs> and I also don't believe that, you know, that uh, you know, going through a kind of hazing or ritual or trauma makes you a stronger or better person. I think that's another toxic myth. Seems like so often people retreat to the arts because the world is uh, abusive towards them, and then and then they somehow will submit to abuse from the arts, and and that's just that's crap. We need to get away from that just categorically. I don't know why, but it seems that uh, giving people some little piece of ground to protect uh, brings out the worst in them sometimes. And I'm not saying that has anything specifically to do with Bloomsday. I think it's just a, a situation of uh, when we put too much reverence into a work of art and haven't really engaged it and can't really talk about it, but we say it's great without really being able to articulate how it doesn't teach us how to make the next one or to see or appreciate the next one it's just sort of deferring to the quote-unquote experts and the experts might be right for them but they might not be right for you one of Emerson's most famous assertions in his great essay the American scholar is genius is always sufficiently the enemy of genius by over influence the literature of every nation bear me witness. The English dramatic poets have Shakespeareized now for 200 years. Uh, you know, and he goes on to say, the study of Shakespeare will never a Shakespeare make. But what's interesting is that is that influence and imitation at least create new art. Um, and it might, uh, you know, accidentally uh, be great on its own. But... But sort of blind reverence for something you don't understand will not make new art. So I want to assert that you have to start your art with something you understand. And it's out there. It's sitting on the shelf right now, your local bookstore somewhere. You know, it exists. It's not uh, as if we reach some sort of pinnacle of achievement at some particular point and then and then it's over and we got to just look back and be nostalgic about it.
I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with retracing the, the past, but I do believe that as Emerson asserted that each generation must write its own books. You know, Colson Whitehead's got a book called Harlem Shuffle coming out in the fall. It's going to hit the shelf. There's going to be no books written about it. For a minute, there's not even going to be a review of it in the New York Times review of books. There might be, actually. Sometimes those people get advanced copies to promote the thing, but you know what I'm saying. It's going to be... There's going to be no one to back up your assertion that it's the new great American novel or, or whatever other novel you want to pick in its place. But, you know, there's nothing to back that up except for your own sense of what makes something great. And that, my friends, is a wonderful feeling and experience. I mean, what's the worst that can happen, you know? That one time when you were 13, you said that the, that Steel Breeze was going to be the Beatles of your generation. And there might be one person on Earth left to remember and tease you about it. That would probably be fun, actually. Some of the guys from the, from the uh, old Bloomsday celebration are doing a little dinner on... You know, tonight, and I'm missing it. And and you know, there there are different reasons for it. I mean, I, I've got a little recording date that I've set up, uh, or that I was invited to play on. So that's the you know the immediate practical reason I'm not doing it. But really, what goes into that is something deeper, which is to say, like I would rather, even though it's scary and sometimes dangerous. <laughs> I want to embrace the new thing, not to just cling to the old thing. I mean, clinging to the old thing, frankly, is the reason that, that we don't do Bloomsday anymore. For lack of younger people and new ideas, we died out like the Shakers. And now we have to just, you know, remember when we used to do that. And, and whatever, things have their, their lifespan, and and it's not, you know, a big deal. And and I don't have anything against the people who I used to do that with. They're great people. Some of them are the, the first people I saw when we, you know, started coming out of this thing and were able to see each other again. So, and some of them I'm still moving ahead with in life doing, doing new art projects. So I'm not, I'm not being critical of them, I hope. I'm, I don't intend to be. But at a certain level, just like there's a, a kind of metaphor involved here for me. You know, I can either choose tonight to look backward to some other experience in art and performance that I had, or I can um, choose to look forward and embrace whatever's next in there. And I feel like at my age and place in life, the greatest risk to me is to not embrace the new. I don't want to uh, be retrospective anymore. I don't want to. I don't want to move into the future looking backward, because I'm not some kind of tour guide. I can't walk around backwards. I'll fall down for sure. So I feel like there's just so much out there to embrace that's new, and it's going to be better. And I would say that the reason it's going to be better 
is at least in part because it has to do with the now. And again, like, you know, the now is built on a foundation of the then. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you, you shouldn't look backward. You know, my kid, one of the proudest moments, I used to have all these boxes full of uh, tapes. I'm talking about cassette tapes here. They were a primitive storage device that you pushed into the dashboard of your automobile. Most of them that were still around were, you know, like old blues tapes. She was fascinated by them. She listened to them all the time. One time when she was like three, her mama was trying to take her home to her house and she <laughs> stomping around the living room, imperiously shouting, I am not leaving this house without my Muddy Waters tape. All of her brown stubbornness on full display and all of her crazy tastes that she was developing by having access to whatever she wanted. But I hope the foundation that she uses to, uh, you know, the foundation that she stands on with that, I hope what she builds on top of that is something that's entirely her own. I, I, I want her to have her own thing that's for her time that I don't understand, you know. And, and she already does. You know, she'll explain to me who these bands and these female singers and that she listens to are and what they're doing. And she uses that as a foundation for her her own art and her singing. And, and uh, that's how it should be. And the reason that it should be like that is because that stuff doesn't leave behind the older people. Younger people coming along behind you doesn't leave you behind. It drags you along with it. So I, I don't know, that's it. I guess maybe I'm just thinking right now about trying to remind myself to let go of any kind of proprietary relationship I think I have to do with uh, some corners of the art world that I participate in uh, and to remember to bring along younger people in it. And if you do it the right way, they're grateful and they pay you back for it and they lift you up with them. I don't know, I'm grateful for every chance to perform and collaborate that, uh, that I've had. I, I don't take it for granted at all. You know, I sometimes, I, I know that sometimes, you know, people will see me perform and they're like, oh, why is that guy in this band? I'm better than him. You know, I, I try to get by on being a good band citizen, doing the show up, tune up, shut up thing, uh, being reliable. I, and I know that I have sometimes failed at this. You, I know some of you are searching your memories for examples right now, but um, you know, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but it's what I what I try to do. I recognize that I've at times taken work away from people who need the money. I, uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is that is that I I value being asked to uh, continue to do this thing, and so you know, I, I played a party for the first time in a year and a half few weeks ago and that's turned into some 
opportunities to do some new stuff and take some new directions with people I've already been playing with and it's opened up some new possibilities and and I just feel like uh, you know people have been sitting around waiting to uh, make some music and people have been sitting around waiting to hear it and there's all kinds of new out there available to me right now and I just want to dive right into it and uh, that's all I'm saying I guess I'm not trying to run anyone down or or uh, or retread any old roads uh, so happy Bloomsday everybody if that means anything to you and if it doesn't, happy Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Uh, and thanks for listening and making me try to keep this podcast new because it's been really exciting and fun and valuable for me. Thanks. <laughs>